Well, welcome, church. It's good to be with you today. I want to say welcome to Flipside South Valley and uh, maybe Flipside uh, Rapid City. Don't know if they're up and doing that one yet, but uh, it's good to have you all here. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be on Sunday morning. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I was thankful to get to be gone last weekend with my family, celebrating my son Caleb's final football game after 17 years. Uh, my son's, uh, my oldest son Joe's official finishing of his college degree after 12 years. He is a, a, a man of perseverance and diligence. I'm so proud of him uh, and celebrating Joe and Miranda and Miles and Wayland's move to Rapid City with our whole family. It's great to be gone. It's great to be back. Sean, I appreciate you preaching last week. You did a great job. I love you being on the team. And uh, it's good to see my friend Sean in church today. Sean has spent 77 days. Sean spent 77 days in a hospital, uh, body fighting back. And uh, it's so good for you not to be there and for you to be here. You're one of the strongest, most thankful men I've ever known in my life. Uh, profound faith. So it's good for us to be together. We're going to wrap up this series, Living a Thankful Life in an Ungrateful World. We all know what it's like to do something for someone who then fails to express gratitude for what we've done, right? And we've all been guilty of that, right? It's frustrating to realize that some were not raised right by their mama. It's frustrating when you realize there are some who have an arrogance of entitlement, who are ungrateful, who don't start with please nor end with a thank you. I might not be your mama or your papa, but I want, them, I want us to make sure that uh, you are raised right in the spirit. Living a thankful life in an ungrateful world. And when we realize how good God has been, a thank you is highly appropriate. One of the problems in our culture is this issue of entitlement. That we believe we're entitled to more than what we got. That we believe we deserve to have that which we don't. That we believe that you exist, me, you exist to make me feel good. This issue of entitlement. We're taught that we deserve certain things. We're taught that we deserve certain favor. It's even crept into the church. That we start to believe that if I live right, I'm entitled to something good from God. We start believing that, hey, I give to the church, I'm entitled to deserve something in return. We start believing I've been to Flipside pretty regularly. I deserve to have Pastor Carl beat my beck and call. There are certain things that we just, I've done this, I deserve. Please understand that wherever there's a spirit of entitlement, there's diminished gratitude. Wherever there's a spirit of entitlement, I deserve. There's diminished gratitude. So here's the problem. When we believe that we're entitled to God's blessing, we don't see the blessing that he's already given. Diminished gratitude. When I believe that I deserve a greater return from God, 
I don't see the abundance he's already given. This hadn't happened. I'm not saying it has, but I'm just saying this is the danger. That when we believe the church and the staff exist to meet my every need, I then no longer see the Holy Spirit as my primary comforter and counselor and guide and helper and teacher and intercessor. And so I want to finish this series on how to live a thankful life in an ungrateful world and set up going into the Christmas season with the realization of all that God has already blessed us with. Because here's what I know. God don't like ungrateful. God don't like ungrateful. See, one can give thanks and not be thankful, but one cannot be thankful and not give thanks. You can make somebody say thank you. Good mamas and daddies do that to their kids. But just because someone says thankful, thank you doesn't mean that they are thankful, right? But you cannot be thankful and not say thank you. Same is true about love and giving. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. See, the rule is this. You may be able to do the act without the emotion, but you cannot emote without the action. Does that make sense? See, there's a difference between thanksgiving and thankful living. So if you have a Bible, Luke 17 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke 17. Go to the middle of the Bible, take your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke. You found Luke. Chapter 17 is exactly in the middle between 16 and 18, and that's as much as I can help you find it. Luke 17. Ten lepers, one thankful life. Starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. God's people and those outside. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Doing what? Giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, weren't there ten that were cleansed? Where's the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner who doesn't feel entitled? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. As I was reading this account and, and studying this and praying and thinking through this morning, one of the things that struck me is verse 13. In verse 13, 
what they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There's no specific request for a specific work of God. Only a cry for mercy. There's no specific ask. Did they have need? Absolutely. But there was no specific request for healing, no specific request for blessing, no specific request for justice, no specific request for a cure, only for mercy. Now implied in the cry for mercy is healing. But here's what struck me. They were willing to accept whatever God's mercy would allow. God, my need is great. I'll accept whatever your mercy will allow. God, I need you to step in, but I'll accept whatever your mercy will allow. God, I need you to move in a miracle, but I will accept whatever your mercy will allow. So just give me mercy. And maybe the lesson here, part of it, is sometimes all we can do is cry out for God's mercy. See, sometimes things are so bad and so deep and so profound that the only thing we can do is say, God, just have mercy. There's so much that needs to happen. Just have mercy. There's so much I need you to do. Just have mercy. And I'll accept whatever your mercy allows. I love that fact about these guys. But see, then after verse 13, I read verse 14. And Jesus, when he saw them, he said to them, go now and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I want us to make sure we understand this, that God's healing required an element of obedience from these guys. Like, like, like Jesus didn't say, just sit there, t- it's all good, don't worry about it, go on your way. He said, no, you got to be obedient in this. I'll do my work, you do your work. But, but I want you to note that obedience in action, the obedience in their action, was based on the reliability of the speaker. The obedience of their action was based solely on the reliability of, their speaker, of, the, of the speaker. Without their obedience, the miracle wouldn't have happened. And the obedience was proof of their faith. But their obedience in action was based on the reliability of the one speaking to them. Here's how this works. If you're told to do something by someone you don't consider reliable, you're going to follow through on their instruction? They're not reliable, right? I guarantee you, I seek financial advice from two people in this church because they're really reliable. I look at their life. I look at at, at what they've done. And and I want to be like them when I grow up type thing. I'm not going to accept financial advice from someone standing on a street corner in River Park holding a sign. Does that make sense? Because what they tell me is not reliable. If I'm told to do something from a source I consider very reliable, it's highly likely I'll follow their instruction. Does this make sense to you? All right. So as I was realizing this, here was my thought. 
What does this mean for me? And what does it mean for the Christ follower if there's clear instruction in the Bible and we don't follow it? Do we not consider the Bible reliable? Do we not consider God to be trustworthy and reliable? See, my action will be based on the reliability of the speaker. As it was for these lepers. They trusted the reliability of the speaker and they did. When I get instruction from the word that I choose not to act upon, it might be because at here, I don't, is it because I don't trust the reliability of God's word? Is it trust because I don't trust the reliability of God himself? So if it's not that, what is it? But care to answer that? No, we'll just leave that there. We'll just let set for a little bit. Jesus told him, go show yourself to the priest. The, the, the interesting thing with, with Jesus' response, there was nothing in Jesus' response about their healing. There was nothing in his response about their cure. There was nothing specific in his response. He just said, Go obey. Now implied in the instruction to obey was the assurance that healing had already happened. Because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 and 14, there was the command of those suffering skin disease and leprosy to stand outside the camp away from everybody. And the only reason they could approach, the only way they could approach them and go show themselves to the priest according to Old Testament law is because they had already been healed. So implied in the command, go show yourself to the priest, was the assurance that the healing had happened. Here's what I know. Instructions from God are always for our blessing. Jesus didn't say, go show yourself to the priest so the priest could say, get out because you're unclean. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest because you've already been here. God's instructions are always for our blessing. So if we choose to deny them and reject doing what we know he has commanded is either because we don't trust the reliability of the Bible or the reliability of God or we don't trust that what God has said is for our blessing. You follow me? Okay? So I read verse 13 and I read verse 14. Then you know what I did? I read 15, 16, yeah. And so this is what the Bible says. <laughs> then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him what? Thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. You know what the proper response is when we realize God's blessing? To return to the one we ask the blessing from. And to say thank you. 
When we cry out for the hand of God to move, when we realize he's moved, the proper response is return to that same hand, not with another request, but with a thank you. Here's what I know. The shout of my thanksgiving ought to be greater than the passion of my supplication. My mommy and daddy raised me right in this sense. They taught me to pray about everything. Everything. My, I don't have a problem with supplication. I can supplicate with the best of them. Make my request known to God all day long. Matter of fact, I remember so much so, I, I'll tell you this. I was a little boy playing Little League Baseball. And I'm, I, was, I was never, I, no, I'm not a good baseball, I've never been a good baseball player. Matter of fact, I pitched. I, I was a pitcher. And they couldn't hit me because I threw so slow. And like, you know, three before the ball even gets there, I was just not good. Uh, and I relied on the inability of the opponent's pitcher to get me on base. <laughs> I couldn't hit the ball. And I remember game after game after game, because my, my parents taught me to pray, God, if I'm ever going to hit a home run, let it be now. And he never answered that prayer. <laughs> Like, I don't have a problem praying. This is what we, like, we don't have a problem supplicating, right? Like, we pray to God all, all the time. God, I need you to. God, you must. God, please show up. God, I need this. I, God, you got to step in. God, you intervene. You got all that stuff. What I'm realizing is the shout of my thanksgiving ought to be greater than the passion of my supplication. I don't know about you. But I got some work to do. This leper came back. If you read that passage, there's two things that are involved in his giving thanks. One was praise. That's where he started. And then he gave thanks. See, the difference in those two things is this. Praise is when we glorify or give glory to God. It's all about him. And who he is. And we attest to the mighty acts of God. And we tell God's story to our huddle. And we, we, we make sure that those in our huddle family know what God has done. And how God has blessed. That is what it is to praise and to give glory to. And then the leper started with that. And then he followed it with giving thanks. And thanks is acknowledging that God is the source and the giver of all good things. And so we make sure in giving thanks, when we return to the hand that has given, we return to that hand and we give thanks. And we make sure that we give testimony that we know it is from his good hand, not from our hard work. Now, he might have given us the hand that can work hard, but it's still from his good hand that we got a hand to work hard. And that thanksgiving says, look, God has the one that enabled me. God is the giver. God is the source for all my resource. It's not that I deserve it. It's not just because I worked hard. It's just not that I did my due diligence. It's because God in his favor has chosen. Thank you. When you realize how good God has been, Simply because the Father is in love with you and simply because the Father has chosen to bless you in spite of yourself, right? Yes, yes, yes. So I was thinking about this and I thought, it seems like God answered 
This guy's prayer the moment he asked. Wouldn't that be nice? I thought maybe the reason God doesn't answer our prayers after the first prayer. Because he wants a greater praise than Thanksgiving on the back end. And he knows that if he answers it immediately, we take it for granted. And our praise and Thanksgiving would be anemic. See, here's what I know. Thankful living returns to the Lord. This healed leper's condition had changed. He didn't have to go back. But he wanted to return. And the second time he went back, he didn't have a need. The first time he went, he had a need that nobody could meet. And so God did. He went back a second time. Not because he had a need. He went back when he didn't have a need. I don't know about you, but it does me. How often I go to God when I got a need. Like I said, that's one of my strong points. I wake up in the morning going to God. I'm at his, I'm at his feet every every. Every moment throughout the day, I, I go to him in the evening time when I got a need. I don't have a problem going to him when I got a need. I don't think you do either. But it makes me wonder and consider how much I neglect coming back to him when I don't have a need anymore. That's why I said two weeks ago, we don't need another reason to praise God. We just need a better memory because he's already done enough. Why didn't the other nine go back and give thanks? Why didn't they go back and say thank you? Maybe they felt entitled. I mean, usually, leprosy was not one of those things that you got because you were negligent. Especially in those that you were on high alert. Lepers couldn't be around society Oftentimes they have to cry out, unclean, unclean, so everybody knew. Like, you're on high alert to protect yourself and make sure there's space between you and someone who's infected. If there were items that might have been infected, there's a whole process to go through to make sure that it wasn't, you know, infected by COVID. And so there was, there's a lot, of, it's a lot of precautions. And so maybe these guys thought, you know what, this, this is just something bad. that I didn't deserve this. It's just one of those bad, we all know bad stuff happens, right? We didn't make it happen, it just happens. And maybe they think, I didn't deserve this, I shouldn't be in this spot, I don't deserve to be where I am and what's going on. I'm God's person, I'm God's people, he should respond to me, right? Entitlement diminishes gratitude. Here's what I thought. If people don't give thanks quickly, they usually don't do so at all. Right? And so this cat want to go right now. Maybe the other night thought, you know, if I see that guy again, I'll tell, I'll, I'll give him a hey, you know, thanks. This guy, this one guy thought, no, I'm going to go back right now. Because what I know is that if you don't give thanks immediately, you usually don't do so at all. How many of us thought about sending a thank you note? Or just didn't. How many of us 
had thought about sending a thank you text. How easy is that? Still haven't. Jesus was disappointed in the, with the ingratitude of the nine. Because all were cleansed. And all had equal reason to return to give thanks. See, I, I think they, like us, sometimes get so self-absorbed with our own self that we don't really turn back and give thanks for the goodness of God with as loud a shout as we cried out for help. We've got to remember, God don't like ungrateful. This passage right here leads me back to the Psalms. The Psalms are beautiful. So deep and so profound and so intricate and exquisite. Psalm 73, 28. But for me, it's good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, here's what I know. We have a tendency to tell everyone What's not done and what's not good enough. We got a tendency to tell everyone what we want to be different. We got a tendency to tell everyone what we want changed. We got a tendency to tell everyone. And we're very ready to tell other people what has not been done to us. We're very ready to tell other people how others let us down. We're very ready to tell other people how disappointed we are. Hashtag social media. But Psalm 73 says, oh, I will tell others a lot of stuff. And I will tell others what I got on my mind. And I will give others a piece of my mind. But what I will tell others is the wonderful things that God has done. There might still be things that are not good enough. There might still be things that I want changed. There might still be things that need to be different. I understand that. But what I will tell others is the wonderful things of God. Because I got a thankful heart. Even though there's still things that are unjust, even though there's still things that need to change, even though there's still things I wish were different, I'll tell God about those things. But what I'll tell others is about the wonderful things of my Father. The fact is others will let us down. The fact is others will disappoint us and we will them. The fact is people will hurt us and we will them. And I'll tell God about all that stuff. But I'll tell others not about that. I'll tell others about the wonderful things of my God. I won't be like the nine who walked away. I'll be like the one who came back. And so I started thinking, Carl, what do you have to always tell people about regarding the wonderful things of your God? So for me, my mind went right back to Romans 8. If there's one, if there's, if I can make this suggestion, if there's one chapter in the Bible that you familiarize yourself in intimacy, make it be Romans 8. All, like all the good verses from the Bible come from Romans 8. For we know that God works all things together for good, those who love and call according to Romans 8. We know that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Romans 8. I went back to Romans 8. 
Here's, here's what I have to give thanks about. And this is what I'll tell everybody about. The Spirit himself bears witness with my spirit. If you've got a relationship with Jesus through faith because of what he did on the cross, with your spirit. So we're children of God through faith in Christ. And if children were heirs, <laughs> heirs of God and co-heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, this blows my mind. I got a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And because of that, he's made me his heir, the father's heir, and a co-heir with Christ. In other words, he has adopted me and made me an heir. And a co-heir with Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Why does a father need an heir? Legacy, carry on, give his stuff to. The only reason, see, see if you can follow me now, the only reason I need an heir for legacy, to carry on, give my stuff to, what's implied in that is what's going to happen to me one day. See, none of y'all said I need an heir because I'm going to die. That's why one needs an heir. Because I know I'm going to die, and because I'm going to die, if I'm living, I don't need to pass on my legacy. If I'm living, I don't need to pass on my story. If I'm living, I sure as heck ain't going to pass on my stuff. I got a real nice truck right now. I don't need an heir to pass it on to. Because it's mine, I'm living, I'm enjoy it. Now, if that truck is still nice, and I pass on, I'm going to give it to one of my three years, the one I like the most. I haven't decided who that is yet. But I don't need an heir if I'm not going to die. Do you understand? So get this. God the Father has adopted me as his heir. He's not going to die. Why would he do that? He doesn't need an heir. And if he needed an heir, he already has a son. Why does he need to adopt another one? Have you thought about this before? Have you thought theologically about the Bible? It's amazing what happens. Why would he need to adopt me as his heir? Here, see, God chose to adopt me as his heir, though he ain't going nowhere, and he's already got a son. He chose to adopt me because of his grace. He chose me to be a co-heir with Christ simply because he, out of love for me, he wanted to share with me his power and his authority and his inheritance with me. Did I deserve it? No way. He just wanted to give me access to his power, and to the authority of his kingdom and dominion because of his grace. And I'll tell that story all day long. I did nothing to deserve this grace from God. Matter of fact, I've done everything to disqualify me from it. And that he sought me and chose me anyway. I'll come back and tell him thank you all day long. Why would God do this? Why would he choose me? Why would he? Some of y'all are nasty. Why would God choose you? Right? You know you. 
I don't mean, I spend so sad. Like, why would God choose me? I mean, there are times I don't even want to be with, with me. I, so here's the I don't want to question his choosing of me because I don't want him to change his mind. I just want to say thank you. Because God don't like ungrateful. And I don't need him to do another thing. For he's already done enough. He has already done enough. See, personally, I don't know about you, I know about me. Personally, I know that I'm not entitled to anything good from God. I know that. It's not a happy realization. But beside knowing that, I, I, I also know Romans 5.20, which is a happy realization. Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That is a happy realization because I know me and I know my sin and I realize that I don't deserve any blessing from God at all. But I know more than that, Romans 5.20, and I have faith in the reliability of the speaker who has told me that where my sin abounds, God's grace abounds more. I got more faith in God's word than I got in my sin. Here's what I know. My struggle consistently every day is living between the blessing of God's grace and the memory of my sin. And every time I struggle in that, I come back to Romans 5.20, that God's where my sin has abounded God's grace has abounded more. Here's what I know because of Romans 5.20. That means God's got more grace than I got sin. The truth is this. I might got some sin in me, but God's got more grace on me. And for that, I'll come back and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll return every morning and I'll come back every night and say thank you, for, Father, for your mercy and your grace. I'll take every ounce of it you can give me. I'll take whatever your mercy and grace will allow me. I'll start every morning telling you thank you. I'll end every night telling you thank you and I will take whatever your mercy and your grace will allow. And the beautiful thing about Lamentations 3 is that his mercies are brand new every morning. I'll take every bit of it I can get. Let me wrap this up with this. When I realize that I have been adopted as an heir when he didn't need another one, when I realize he, I, he's adopted me as his heir and a co-heir with Christ, simply because he loves me and wants me to share in his power and authority and inheritance, his kingdom and dominion, when I realize how freely that has been gifted to me, it is very easy to give mercy and grace freely to others. I don't know if you heard me because you acted like I didn't say anything significant. You acted like I just changed you how, told you how to change a light bulb. You need to understand something. When I realize that I've done nothing to deserve the adoption of his heir, 
Nothing to deserve his mercy and grace. And he's lavished it on me. When it has come freely because of what he's done. When I realize how freely it's come, I can give it freely to others. See, here's the problem. If you haven't realized that yet and accepted that, you're trying to be merciful to mean people of your own volition. And that's why you still hold grudges. And that's why you still are bitter. And that's why you still struggle with forgiveness. Do you ever realize how easy it is to spend other people's money? Isn't that easy? And how hard it is when you realize it's your money you're spending? This is mercy and grace. When you're giving it because you're trying to manufacture it and you haven't accepted it from God, it's real hard to give away. But when you give his away, it gets easy. And so I'll come back and say thank you all day long. Here's the thing. I want you to use these. Finish out this year and go through 2023. Every so often, write down the date. This is what God has done. We just printed these and I just got them. I wrote two things down. Wrote two things down. First one, I didn't put a date. So it says, he's given me Shelly. Second thing I wrote a date, January 18. Caleb got home for Thanksgiving. He's already done enough. And so I'll be the one that goes back and says thank you because God don't like ungrateful. He's already done enough. Come on back and say thank you now. Pray with me, Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are a good God. You've always been a good God. You've always responded to us out of your goodness. Thank you. Thank you that your mercies are are new every morning. Thank you that your faithfulness is great. Thank you that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Thank you that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you that you never slumber nor sleep. Thank you that you are our sustainer. Thank you that, that, that there might be tears in the night, but you give joy in the morning. Thank you that you turn mourning into dancing. Thank you. Thank you that you are our sustainer. Thank you that you are our healer. Thank you that you are our renewer. Thank you that you are the rebuilder of covenant and broken promises. Thank you that you are the restorer of dead dreams. Thank you, God, for the life and birth and abundance that you have promised through relationship with your son. You've been so good to us. Father, some of us know, we know how good you've been. And yet we've acted like the nine. Forgive us. You've been so good. There have been difficult times. There have been rough times. There's been pain and turmoil and disappointment. There's been death. But God, you've been so good even through all that. Let us be the one who comes back and says thank you. Let us be the one who returns. That our shout of thanksgiving is louder than our cry of supplication. Father, we want to return right now and say thank you. You've pursued us before we were ever aware of you. Your hand has been on our life even when we've been unaware. You pursued us with an everlasting love and with loving kindness. And your loving kindness has drawn us to you. Thank you. 
Thank you that in the midst of my sin, you never gave up on me. Thank you that your grace was greater than my sin. Thank you. Thank you that while the world might look at me with disdain and dirt, you look at me with love and favor. Thank you. Thank you that when others give up, you never did. And you never will. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, you separated my sin from me. Thank you. Thank you that this mercy and grace you've given me freely through your son. Thank you that I have the opportunity and choice to give it freely to others. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that you so loved that you gave your son. Thank you. God, we will be the one who returns. We will be the one who gives thanks. We will be thankful. Even in an ungrateful world, we have much to be thankful for. And we continue to ask you for your faith. We will take whatever your mercy and grace will allow. You know our need. You know. And we willingly say, whatever your mercy and grace will allow, we'll take it all. And Father, in the morning, give us new. And we say thank you. In your name I pray, amen.